Well, it's good to see you guys here today. As our kids make their way out, I want to lift up Ms. Rhonda in prayer. She is out. She had a little sign of surgery this past week, and so uh, many of you guys know what that's like, and so she's recovering from that. She's supposed to be here tonight, and uh, she takes our children from kindergarten to fifth grade for uh, for on Sunday nights during our, our small group time, um, and a couple of volunteers are helping her out to, uh, to get ready for a play. Our children are going to do a play here in several weeks, and so we look forward to that, and so we, we pray for Miss Rhonda. I was out last week, and uh, the, uh, you know, when children get sick, and um, you start seeing things come out of their body and your mind starts playing tricks on you you're like well am I sick or like uh and so I was thinking like I you know I, I just may not be I may not be uh, uh available to come and so Saturday night I texted Justin pretty late and uh said hey dude I just don't think it's going to happen in the morning and so Justin filled in I appreciate him his ministry here all of the team here when they cover and I'm just so thankful for those guys. Uh, that that virus is going around, and so the the, the remedy trick is uh, Welch's grape juice. You drink you a shot of Welch's grape juice in the morning. That's supposed to uh, clear it away. How many of y'all have heard that remedy before? Well, it has been good for the Stevens household for several years, but it did not play out well this past weekend. So, having said that, here we are. Praise be to the Lord. And, uh, and so we're here this morning. Joshua chapter number three is where we're going. Joshua chapter number three, if you're a guest here today, we're glad that you're here. We are in, uh, uh, we're walking through the book of Joshua. We started this a couple of weeks ago, uh, chapter by chapter. I'm not going to walk through all of the book of Joshua, but for this next several weeks, we're going to walk through chapter by chapter and just talk through the word of God. And, uh, and that's kind of like how we like to do it on Sunday mornings is preaching series preach through books, preach through texts of Scripture, and allow the Holy Spirit to speak as the Holy Spirit does. That way, uh, I'm not aiming a sermon at anybody. The text just speaks it, shares it, and we get to talk about it. And so we let the chips fall where they fall. We started this journey a couple of weeks ago in the book of Joshua. Chapter 3 really is a continuation of chapter number 1. Chapter 2 is kind of a, a side story in in the book of Joshua. In fact, you could really kind of read chapter 1 and then skip to chapter 3 and see how they go hand in hand. Chapter number 2 is the is a side rescue story of Rahab, which we talked about two Sundays ago. And uh, and so now we're in chapter number 3. This is the story about the wonderful fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham Five, uh, five six hundred years, some, some people say closer to 700 years prior to Joshua showing up. God gave promises to Abraham and we're seeing those fulfilled in the life and ministry of Joshua as the people of God go into the promised land. We talked about how, uh, how we as believers have a promised land in Jesus. Uh, we get to rest in Christ. We get to live out our faith in Jesus. And really what comes along with that is, is the areas in life where Jesus calls me to go and, 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 and shows me favor in places that I go uh, to, to take the land. I would say there are places in your life where you live, where you work, where you play, where God has called you to live in the promised land, to live in Christ. 
And so we have walked through that idea. We're going to continue to walk through that idea some today in chapter 3. Let me say this as we set this up. The world sees all the problems within itself and truly believes that we can get better, that we're good, and that mankind can get better. If we get unified together then our problems we have can be solved through pooling together our education, our resources, our skills, our money to create really a utopian society ultimately without God. Really every generation has believed this. Um, This is not a new thought process. And uh, the idea that we can... First of all, that we're good and that we can always get better and better and better until we create a society that's basically perfection. Now, I'm not against education. I think it's very, very important. I'm not against uh, helping one another out. I'm not against, uh, uh, I'm not against government. I think government uh, is good. I think uh, in one particular way, I think government is designed by the Lord to, to be a blessing and a benefit to their citizens, to its citizens. I'm not against any of this. But let me say this. There is no way to create a utopian society without the Lord. This secular endeavor is really the counterfeit from the enemy to the true desire within every person to desire heaven on earth. I'll never forget, uh, this is a side note story, I'll never forget I went to uh, on a mission trip to Belize. And so we spent, I don't know, seven or eight days in Belize and, uh, and so we went uh, to that country and did mission work and, and uh, poured concrete for about four days, mixed by hand, uh, dumped onto the ground, shoveled into buckets, bucket brigade for like three days of concrete. Uh, we poured concrete on top of this building for a storm shelter, a hurricane shelter. And there's only one uh, concrete truck at that time in the country of Belize. We did not have it. We were the concrete truck. And so we poured concrete uh, for about three or four days. The last day, uh, we flew out to one of the little islands. I don't remember the name of it. Some of y'all may have vacationed there, big time snorkeling uh, there and scuba diving. It's like some, one of the top scuba diving places in the world. And so uh, we flew out uh, by this little bitty plane. Oh, goodness. Felt like we were about five feet off the water. And we flew out and we landed. And, and, and the, last, the last day, the last night, we were on this, um, this island out there for six days or so. Um, we basically had nothing to drink but water. I was so sick of water in six days that the first thing that I wanted to do was find a Coke. And so uh, we were on this little beach area this, and, and, and had this uh, place to stay. It was a nice place to stay. Uh, we roughed it pretty good when we were in Belize, but that last night was pretty, pretty nice. And so I walked down the beach by myself and found a bar. And I walked into this bar, and I walked up to the bar, and I ordered a Coke. And like I always do, and my, my wife gets so tired of me doing this, I talk to strangers. I just do. I can't help it. And so typical, I wasn't a dad in those days by any means, but typical dad fashion, we'll talk to anybody. And so I struck up a conversation to share the gospel with this guy at a bar in Belize. And as I drank my Coke... Nothing else in it, by the way. As I drank my Coke, I talked to this guy. And I'll never forget that this man was a 
atheist. And as I talked to him, what came out of his mouth was, until the world gets one man that we can all stand behind, we'll never see peace on earth. Now, there's two thought processes there, right? One, certainly an antichrist who will come, but two, that his heart has been programmed by the Lord in his DNA to desire the earth to be filled with peace from one man, from one person. And biblically speaking, that will be Jesus. And that's really who we long for. That's what we long for. In fact, the Bible speaks of a new heaven and a new earth. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 65, chapter 66, 2 Peter, chapter 3, Revelation 21, the Bible says that there will come a day when a new heaven and a new earth will be made. That the earth, according to 2 Peter 3, will be cleansed by fire, not burned up and done away with, not destroyed, but to be cleansed and made new. And really a, a, a reversal back to the garden days when all was perfection and the new heaven will sit down on the new earth and we will dwell with God forever and ever. This is what the scripture teaches. A kingdom will come in which one will rule and everything that you and me as believers cannot stand about the earth will be done away with. The sin that absolutely drives us insane will be done away with. The sin in our own lives will be done away with and we will live with the Lord forever and ever. This will be perfection, but it cannot and will not happen without Christ. The kingdom is really what we're talking about. Did you know that the New Testament especially refers to you and me as kingdom people? You, if you're a believer in here, have bowed down to a greater king than yourself. And you have said, King Jesus, you own me. And I submit to you. The book of Joshua really is a story about how the kingdom of God is taking place, is pursuing and pushing and pressing in on the earth. God is ultimately setting up a specific people for a specific time in a specific land for the Savior to ultimately come. His name is Jesus. God is setting up this kingdom. Is the kingdom now? Yes. But is the kingdom not yet fully realized and is to come? Absolutely. And in this process, we see in the book of Joshua a moment of time where God is pressing forth his kingdom. Moses has died. The people mourned this wonderful leader that God had gave them to rescue them from Egypt. And in the process of mourning, God raises up a new leader. His name is Joshua. You remember him. The people have wandered in the desert for 40 years. They came all the way to the banks of the Jordan River and got ready to cross the river and go into the promised land and they sent out spies. The spies came back. Two spies wanted to go in, but ten did not. The two that were ready to go in were Joshua and Caleb. But because the Baptist business meeting rule began to 
uh, taking effect, the majority won, and they stayed in the land. I don't know what Moses was doing, where was his voice during the time, but the leader listened to the majority. And really, out of that meeting, the Bible says it's very clearly in the book of Exodus that a fear spread through all of the people of all the people of God, all the Hebrew people. A fear spread that they were not going to be able to go into the promised land and take over this land. And so in turn, God... makes his people wander for 40 years until a generation dies out. The new generation has come, and they're right back at the banks of the Jordan River, ready to go into the Promised Land. Chapter 3 is the beginning of the movement of God's people into this land. Some commentators say there could have been over 2 million people at this time ready to cross the Jordan In fact, if you look at Joshua chapter 1 and Joshua chapter 3, you'll see that for three days, particularly verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1, that for three days, the people got ready to cross. And as they cross the Jordan River in chapter 3, the Lord does something amazing for this new generation of people. He parts the waters. He did it in the old generation And he does it again for this generation. This is important for us this morning because this is a story about kingdom growth and kingdom, a pressing of the kingdom forward. This is an important story this morning because this story centers around faith. The Bible speaks of faith. And what we learn from this story is that faith is moving the people of God. That's what we learn from the story, is that faith moves the people of God. Look in the text. I'm not going to read all of chapter 3. Let's look at verse 14 with me, and let's just read just for a minute. uh, Verse 14 and on. There's some names in here. I'm sure that I will butcher those names. Let's read through here. Let's work through this together just for a minute. Look at verse 14 with me. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of the harvest. So the the Jordan River was flooded, by the way. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down toward the Sea of Araba passed over, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all of Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. It's a wonderful, wonderful story, and you can see that the, that the river springs up Stand straight up in parts. Now, faith in the text is moving the people of God. This is what we're going to see throughout the Bible. This is what we're going to see in Joshua 3. They are a people of faith. They are certain of the God whom they can't see according to Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 and the definition of faith. Can we pull Hebrews 11 1 up? Look at how Hebrews defines faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. 
Like, like when we say, we sing about Christ, my hope in life and death. It's not a, it's not a hope. Well, I, I hope that the Lord is real and that He's good and that He walks in my life. I, I hope that. It's more of like a, I'm sure. And though I can't see Him, I believe so firmly in the promises that I'm willing to bank my life on Him. This is what faith is. Faith is moving God's people in the Old Testament. Faith moves God's people in the New Testament. The same faith moves you and me today. They believe God is calling them into a land that they are supposed to settle in and live and have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. They believe in the promises of God. Remember, they are living on the stories of their parents and great-grandparents. They're living on those stories. They had not seen the parting of the Red Sea, but they had heard about it. They had not seen the stories of living in Egypt and leaving out of Egypt, but they had heard about it. But what they had witnessed was God providing for their needs. In 40 years of wandering, God provided for them. They would go out in the morning and there would be bread that had rained down early in the morning. A dew would settle down and that dew would dry and it would be what they called manna, a dry bread. And then Moses uh, hit a rock, right? He struck it in anger. God, out of His grace, still poured out water out of the rock and the people of God drank water for 40 years out of a rock. God provided water for 2 million people. God provided bread for 2 million people. And then God, out of His goodness, provided quail. So they were able to catch and kill quail. Y'all know what quail tastes like, don't you? Chicken, right? Really good chicken. And my Southern Baptist Alabama mindset, as I'm sure they took that manna and they ground it down real fine and they probably dipped that quail in quail egg and then rolled it around in the manna and surely there was some oil somewhere and they had fried quail. I'm just thinking outside the box here, right? God had provided for their needs. And they had heard all of the stories and they had seen God provide. But now, as they came to the banks of the Jordan, now faith within them is calling them, pulling them, pushing them. Have you ever been pushed by God? Have you ever been pulled by God towards something? Have you ever been like a... Have you ever been like a mule or a donkey that doesn't want to go anywhere, but you've had to, you felt God get behind you, and as you sat down, you felt the good kick of the Lord in the backside? The faith within them to pursue God was pulling them, pushing them into where God wanted them to go. This is what faith does. If you've never experienced this, you may be lost. Because faith is constantly moving God's people. This is what faith does. This is, this is what true biblical faith is. Biblical faith, according to Warren Wiersbe, is confident obedience to God's Word in spite of circumstances and consequences. 
It means this. It means that when I hear God speak through His Word and through the, through the, the, the preached Word and through conversations with the people of God and I sense God is moving me into a place and I can feel that and understand that in my soul deep down and I know that God wants to move me into a place. I have to get to a, a, a crossing point, a Jordan River crossing to where I go, okay, I'm letting the Chips fall where they fall. I'm either going to pursue God in faith or I'll sit stagnant. And live miserably. If you have faith, you know what I'm talking about. About being miserable until you walk in faith. Any move of God in our lives will require great faith. Personally, there are people in here who just walked that out in job changes. There are people in here who are walking that out in parenting their children. There are people in here walking that out right now in all facets of life where they live, work, and play. Having to walk out in great faith. Everybody tune in here one second. Are you ready? Here it is. If you are faced with a major decision in your life, a life-altering decision, and you are not a man or woman of God in prayer, then you will face that decision on your own. And you very well may miss walking in faith and in the will of God. If you're a believer, that ought to bother you. Faith pushes us toward movement, not stagnancy, and this is what the people of God are doing. This is a word, brothers and sisters, for the South. Because most claim to know God. In fact, most conversations I have with people in the South, everybody claims to know God. In fact, you can walk around these neighborhoods around here. Most everybody got their name on a church roll. At some point, some life, they've made a decision for Christ, walked an aisle, got put on a church roll. Whether they're saved or not, that's between them and the Lord. But I can promise you, getting your name on a church roll doesn't save anybody. I can promise you that. Getting baptized is extremely important. Extremely important. In fact, it's the first step of obedience. Some of you, your first step in walking in obedience right now, you skipped it. You weren't baptized. God's calling you into baptism. That ought to be how God is moving you right now in faith. You ought to move in faith toward baptism. Baptism is wonderful. It's beautiful. Jesus was baptized not because he was a sinner, but because he was being obedient to his Father in heaven. It is wonderful for you to be baptized. Some of you have skipped that step, but please hear me. Baptism ain't saved nobody. In fact, a lot of people got baptized and all they did was get wet. There was nothing in their heart that screamed for God. Nothing. You could fill up, fill up your life with all these things in the South that we have made, that we have made monumental. Well, my child saved because we dedicated Sam when he was a baby. Are you kidding me? 
What's your point, Mike? My point is, is that faith, faith, we, we meet these people who claim faith in the Lord, but there's never been any movement in their life ever whatsoever. No walking in obedience to Christ. None. And you look at that person, whoever they may be, and you say, if there's not any movement in your life and there's never been toward God, you can claim you have faith all day long. But faith without works is... Yeah. I think one of the greatest lies ever that has ever been told to our generation and generations past has been preached from the American pulpit, and it is, do the, it is this. Do nothing and be saved. We've been so afraid of works-based salvation, and I am not a works-based salvation man or, 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 or a preacher, but, but I think in, the, in, the, in, the, in the, the phrasing of we can't preach works-based salvation, we've made works not even important. And it has fooled generations into believing a faith with no obedience. And the truth is, salvation... Cause us to lay down our lives to the one true king. He becomes the Lord of my life, which means he owns me. I don't own myself anymore. And now walk it out. Now walk it out. Now walk it out, right? Faith, quickly this morning, is only as good as its object. Is only as good as its object. What's important in chapter 3 is the fact that God himself becomes the main character. Nine times in chapter 3, the word Ark of the Covenant is used. Nine times. And what would happen is the ark, this is, what, this is how it took place, the ark would go before the people of God and they would get behind the ark, they would see the ark, they would keep their eyes on the ark and the ark of the covenant would go before them and they would follow the ark and the ark would lead them out. Now, the ark was this golden box which held the Ten Commandments. It held Aaron's staff uh, that, that was this staff that was a budding plant on the end. It's, it's a wonderful sermon there to, that we could preach on. Uh, it held uh, a, a jar, a golden jar of manna. And this is what was kept in the ark. It was this box made out of gold over wood. There was a lid that sat on top of the box. This lid was known as the mercy seat of God. All of this is found in the Old Testament. We don't have time to look at all of those texts there. But the mercy seat of God sat down on top of this box. There were cherubim whose wings stretched across this thing. And, and, and really the idea was that, that God propped his feet, that God sat sat on his throne in heaven and rested his feet on the ark. So as the ark went before the... Y'all hang in there with me. I know this is tedious. But as the ark went before the people of God, it was a sign that God's specific presence was in the midst of them and went before them. Okay? So as the ark went before the people of God, you see here in chapter 3... Goes in before them into the Jordan River. It was literally the presence of God raining down in the middle of them. Waters part for the God of this box. When they need direction at night, fire falls down from the sky from the God of this 
box. When they can't take care of themselves in the wilderness. Moses, how are you going to feed all these folks? The God of the box meets their daily needs. Brothers and sisters, this is the same God you serve. The ark had, had this, this mercy seat where God rested his feet. And so here in Joshua 3, this generation of people have followed the footstool of God to lean on their daily provisions for 40 years. And now their faith in God is going to see waters part. But their faith is only as good as the object that it's placed in. Last night, we had a little family devotion at the house. I, I don't want to act like we're uber spiritual and have great family devotions. They usually last, uh, I don't know, about a minute and a half. And I'm having to snap my finger at Sam and I'm having to kick Sawyer in the tail and my wife. And uh, she's trying to help me out and it just gets kind of gets kind of crazy sometimes, and uh, so we're not really uber spiritual. In fact, family devotions are pretty hard for us, but got to be honest with you, we believe that small seeds grow big trees, and so we're going to talk about the Word uh, at, at times in my house, and so I actually opened up to Joshua 3, read a little bit, talked a little bit, and, and asked Sawyer and Sam, what do y'all think faith is? And so we had a conversation about faith. And so right off the bat, well, it's believing in something. I said, yeah, absolutely. And so we're talking about faith. And in our house, we have this, we have this old milk crate. I don't know. I guess that's what it is. It, it looks old. It may not be old, but it looks old. And it sits in our house and has wonderful decor that my wife found at a, at a junk shop. And so it sits there and holds a, a vase with some flowers on it and whatnot. So how many of y'all got junk in your house that y'all just like that? All right, here we go. And so uh, we're not the only ones. So I, I said, hey, normally, normally when people use this illustration about do we have faith in a chair, normally they use a chair and normally it holds them up. I flipped the illustration so that uh, I could try to bring my kids into the more into the devotion because they just weren't with me. And so I'm trying my best, and, and it's just flopping. It's just so, just so bad. And so we, we spun it all on its head with this. I said, okay, check this out. I believe that this box will hold me up if I stand on it. And sorry, right off the bat went, please don't do that, Daddy. Please don't do that, Daddy. <laughs> and then Sam said, do it, Dad. Do it. Do it. And then Erin was laughing, and she said, please do it, Mike. Please bust your tail trying to... And so I stood back, and I said, y'all think that... Why do y'all think this is a bad thing? And they went, well, Dad, you're... The box won't hold you up, Daddy. And they stopped short. <laughs> Kids are so mean, and they were trying to be so nice to me. And so I said, I said, you're right, it won't. I said, but what if I just look back at this box that's not going to hold me up, but if I just stand back and I say, you know what, though? I believe it will. I'm not going to get on it and try it, but I believe it will. And Sam Sam kind of figured it out real quick. He said, he said, but you got to try it if you believe it. See, I, I honestly think this is where a lot of people are. 
we stand back, not with a, a fragile box that, that's not going to hold us up, but we stand back and we, we look at God's Word. We look at God's Word in another country. I would have, I, they, would have, they would have kicked me off the stage, by the way. I'm serious, like no respect for God's Word. But we look at God's Word and we look at the promises of God's Word and we, we see that God is, is good and that, and that He has a wonderful place for me to live. It's the promised land of my life. It's where I work. It's where I live. It's where I play. And we look at that and we go, well, I believe it. I'm just never going to stand on it. And, and, and what God is saying is, you got to stand on His Word. That's what faith is. A lot of us claim we have faith, but we've never stood on the Word. Please hear me. Please hear me. Even the demons have faith, and they shudder. And they shudder. See, faith is only as good as its object. And what I'm trying to tell you is there's no better object to bank your life on than God and His Word. None. People trust in everything, right? They trust in everything. Well, I'm good. I, I, don't, I don't need that. I'll, I'll stand before the Lord one day and I, I've been good. I, I'm, I'm fine. I don't need Christianity. I, I live my life. I try to be honest to my friends and my neighbors, and I do the best I can, and one day when I stand before God, we'll have a deal worked out, and I'll be okay. And please hear me, you won't. Because you're standing on your own goodness. And I just got to tell you, I'm not good enough to stand on Mike Stevens' own goodness. Well, I'll just trust my heart. That's bad, too. Because really what that means is I'll trust my feelings. You know what the problem with trusting our feelings is? Oh, sometimes our feelings are just so against what God's Word says. I don't feel like this. Well, what do you do when your feelings say this and the Word of God says this? What you going to go with? Faith will go with what God's Word says. And watch this, God has the power to catch your feelings up to the choices that you make in Him. Faith is only as good as its object, and I promise you that the Word of God will bring life to your life. Wonderful quote by Dale Ralph Davis in a little book I'm reading about Joshua. Let's put this up. Let's walk through it. I got one more point. We'll close this thing down. Let's put this quote up here. We're going to fly. Here we go. The object of chapter 3 is to impress. Can we flip the screen? The object of chapter 3 is to impress us with the adequacy of God. To grill into us that God is not merely a three-letter word for our Christian jargon not merely the honorary leader of our club, but He is the living God who works and intervenes and shows up and rescues and counsels people in all of their perplexities. He is indeed the Lord of all the earth, verse 11. So let us renounce our temptation to make the Lord a little league deity 
to carve him down into our own stature and limit him to our own possibilities. Faith trusts the God of the earth and it walks with him and moves into his will. Real quick, you know what's interesting about this text? I'm going to invite the guys up here. We'll shut this thing down. But you know what's quick, what's interesting about this text? And we'll be done today. Verse 15 to me is interesting. Can we, can we put verse 15 on, on the screen? Verse 15 of the text. This is, this is just really interesting to me. Look at verse 15. And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan... And the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped into the brink of water, which is now the Jordan. Its banks overflows throughout the time of the harvest. Verse 16. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap. Does this remind you of any other story in the Bible? Anybody? It's the parting of the Red Sea with Moses, right? You would think... It's the same story. This one is a tad different. What's different, particularly in verse 15, that, that in the Moses story in the book of Exodus, Moses takes his staff and hits the water and the waters part. Right? This episode in the Jordan they actually had to put their feet in the water. It's like, what's significant about that? I think that there is some significance here. And I think what's significant here is that in putting their feet into the water, there is this sense of, Lord, I'm trusting in you and your plan so much that I'm willing to wade out here as far as can be in order to watch you make a way. Listen here, please, brothers and sisters, and we will close. There are some promises of God, especially for believers. There are some promises of God which hinge on our obedience and willingness to take a step. What, what do you mean by that, Mike? I mean this. I mean that there are some places that you will never visit in the Lord unless you walk out your faith in obedience. That the Lord, I'm not saying He'll revoke your salvation, but what I am saying is this. He will let you sit stagnant in your miserable Christianity until you take the step of faith to trust Him and walk in the very life that He has promised. I'm telling you, our God, we have limited Him down to a little league deity with all of our little bitty possibilities. Ah, God can't do that. Ah, God can never change him. Ah, God can never change her. Ah, God can never change my situation. Ah, God, what are you doing? God, I don't trust you here. We have limited Him down. This is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible parts waters. He just does. He just does. I have some Jordan rivers in my life that I'm asking God to part. 
if Jesus doesn't come back for another 2,000 years, the next generation will have some Jordan rivers that they're asking God to part. I know that there are people in here who are wrestling with decision-making, walking with God, walking in His will. There are people all in this place who are wrestling with taking next steps of faith. And what I want to tell you is, when you hear God, move. Move. When you hear God move, maybe you're in here and you're lost, your first step is that you have heard about the goodness of God. And your next step is to, in faith, say, God, I need you. The Bible says that if you call on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Maybe your next step is baptism. Maybe you say, you know what, I've been saved, but I haven't been baptized. Maybe baptism is your next step. Maybe your next step is to tell someone about Jesus in your life. I don't know what your next step is, but I do know this. God always calls his people to move in faith. And some of us are so stagnant in here. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. If you're in this place, you're like me saying, God, increase my faith. Call on him. Ask him for help. If you don't know the Lord, call on him. Ask him for help. He'll save you. He'll rescue you. Father God, bless our time of invitation. Father, I pray that there's a freedom in here. God, if someone is here who does not know you, Father, I pray that they would call on your name. If you're here today and you're lost and you're calling on the name of the Lord for salvation, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you at this invitation time. Would you come this morning? Would you, would you come and, and let us have prayer with you? We will not embarrass you, I promise. But would you come and let us have prayer with you? Or at the bare minimum, after this service is over with, would you come and speak with one of us and talk to us and help us disciple you? We want to grow with you. We want to walk with you. You're here today and you're a Christian. God's leading you in next steps of faith. Would you come this morning? Would you pray over those next steps of faith? Maybe you want to come and kneel down over your children and pray over them. Pray over their lives. Ask God to increase their faith, to start their faith. Father God, would you bless our time of invitation? We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. All of God's people said.